everybody. Welcome back to a new episode of Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. I'm one of your hosts, Jess, and I'm joined by your other host, Jared. What's up? <laughs> I feel like this is going to be our giggliest episode. And it's I not, I, I swear, like I'm not on laughing gas. I just, uh, this is our, our second attempt at recording this episode today and our, our third attempt in as many weeks. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah. Episode so, 13 so. is cursed, bottom line. <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, this is a uh, classified shield information. They didn't want us they didn't want us to get the straight dope about cybertech out there. Apparently not. Uh, there's some <laughs> plot elements though that we kind of need to discuss here, or else the next couple episodes are gonna be a little confusing. So <laughs> true. We, we're determined to get this episode out there if possible. So right. You know what? I blame Corey because he was supposed to be a guest on this episode. And ever since that fell through, this has been cursed. <laughs> so, Corey, if you're listening, <laughs> this is you put a curse on this episode somehow. All right. And now I'm like, OK, what are we doing? Um, we're part of the But Why Though podcast community. Uh, check them out on Twitter, But Why Though PC on Twitter, uh, But Why Though Podcast.com for their website. Uh, tons of cool content, articles, podcasts, all kinds of stuff. Not just nerd stuff, but just general pop culture, everything. Um, and we're super proud to be a part of their community. And if you haven't caught up on S.H.I.E.L.D., go to Netflix and watch all the way through the end of season five and enjoy yourself and then come back and listen. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully we'll not have to record this again um yeah. all righty season one episode 13 t-r-a-c-k-s tracks shield with the the what acronyms again yeah <laughs> i couldn't even think of what the word is called they the love word. their acronyms they do and i think the last time we recorded this, we discovered that this doesn't actually have any meaning. It, they just did it to be clever. So, yay. <laughs> there's, which, there's no actual acronym that associates with tracks. Which is a, a comic book thing that happens every once in a while. And occasionally they lampshade it. Like in, <laughs> I think I mentioned it in the first episode with Victoria Hand when S.H.I.E.L.D. is turned into Hammer. The guy right. who creates it, uh, Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, says uh, to rename it Hammer. And she says, what's it stand for? And he's like, someone will figure it out. <laughs> like he's laughing about it. And and he's like, he's he they play him like the Willem Dafoe version where he's like crazy and eating the walls and whatnot and uh, scenery chewing. But they also, he's drawn by a guy who does like photo references. So like the same way we have Sam, Samuel L. Jackson now because a guy drew Nick Fury to look like him. This guy drew uh, Norman Osborn to look like um, Tommy Lee Jones, who I actually think- <laughs> could be a pretty good Norman Osborn, like a crazy old I, businessman, yeah. like an evil old white man. Like I could see him doing it. So yeah. uh, that's my pitch for when the Marvel universe uh, somehow, I don't know when Sony loses the rights to Venom because somebody was drunk or something. They've screwed us <laughs> with Venom being successful. Uh, we're never going to get Norman Osborn <laughs> in the Marvel universe, but if we did somehow, I'd say he'd be a good choice. Uh, I second this. I think that would be a good choice. All right. This episode was written by Lauren LaFranc and Rafe Judkins, and they both also wrote The Hub, which was the episode where Victoria Hand was actually introduced. Must have gotten all their ideas from that one issue of Avengers. Using Victoria yep. Hand. Come on, guys. Come up with something original. <laughs> no, they, they do a good job. I know. This is a good episode. Um, so this is directed by Paul Edwards, originally aired February 4th, 2014. We begin on the bus. Um, the team is actively searching for Ian Quinn, and they may have found a way. Um, Sky has tracked a purchase from Cybertech through one of his shell companies, um, and the item is being transported old school style on a train along the Italian countryside. Um, and Coulson has intel from the Italian authorities that Quinn will be receiving the item personally. And so he made a deal with the authorities um, not only to get this intel, but to be the one to intercept him. Um, so they're going to track the package to Quinn by going undercover, which we find out that May does not like going undercover. <laughs> so on the train, uh, May and Ward are posing as a snobby rich couple. 
Uh, Fitz and Skye are posing as a couple backpacking through Europe, and Simmons and Coulson are posing as father and daughter, which is pretty hilarious. Um, uh, so May and Ward walk to their first class car, and um, they start talking about the mission. And Ward suspects how personal this mission is because Coulson's pretty pissed that he was tortured. And um, May tells Ward that um, she told Coulson about them sleeping together, and he didn't seem uh, he didn't seem bothered by it. And Ward's like, "Wait, what? You told him we're sleeping together, but May has already changed and put on her." special goggles and is climbing out the window to go onto the roof of the train. So we don't get that answer. <laughs> um, meanwhile, uh, Sky and Fitz are trying to figure out their roles. Um, and we discover that Sky has a very terrible Scottish, ac- Scottish accent, but Fitz also has an equally terrible American one. Um, and they get into this part where uh, Sky starts talking to the conductor and she's like, oh, can you recommend a restaurant in downtown Zagreb? We're here on our anniversary and she plays like crazy girlfriend, like we've only been together for like three weeks or something. And and Fitz is getting in, really into character and he's like somewhere affordable with big portions with his like super bad American accent really getting into that American <laughs> part. <laughs> this is all a ruse so that Sky, Sky could steal his keys um, and they go off to the storage car, whatever it's called, and they set up all their equipment and the comms go live. Um, Simmons, we learned, has prepared a very detailed backstory because she's not good at lying, as we have discovered in previous episodes. Uh, so she pulls out this urn and she's like, I'm not good at improvisation, but I excel at preparation. And so their backstory is that uh Coulson is her father and basically abandoned her. And now her mother is dead and she is in this urn and they have a very strained relationship. And Stan Lee shows up as they are having this heated discussion in character, which I believe this is the only cameo that Stan Lee ever did in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. It's very sweet um, considering his recent passing. So rest in peace, yeah. sir. We miss you. I, I believe that uh, you know we have a record an episode uh, recorded that that addresses it that I think is coming later in our release schedule that happened along along yeah. the real time uh, when he passed where we talk about some of the important and uh, obvious com- contributions he has made to Marvel because he was a, like the the biggest dude in Marvel and that's why he's cameos mm-hmm. here and in everything else and is and it's just a super well-known dude that was a really great moment for sure yeah i actually saw um ralph breaks the internet last weekend and there's a cameo of him in that movie as well which was really sweet and the entire theater like when he showed up went oh it was really sweet (laughs) so it's just one of those guys you know it's like a uh a giant he was and just like again like I mentioned, I think later on in the show, so our viewers won't have heard it before you have, but like other than Hugh Hefner, who, who like him in publishing, you know, is so well-known ubiquitous, mm-hmm. like even, if, and even like me who knows who William Randolph Hearst was, like, I don't know what he looked like, you know, like, like but yeah. I've always known what Stanley looks like since I was a little kid. Yeah. He narrated the X-Men, exactly. you know, Same. pilot. The, the backdoor X-Men pilot for the cartoon that was on the 80s when I was a little kid <laughs> on like the Marvel action hour with Spider-Man and RoboCop cartoons. Like, like he did I the narration. It. I remember like, who is this guy? It doesn't sound anything like anything I've heard <laughs> on TV before, but it was him saying, face front, true believer. <laughs> it's me, your old buddy, Stan Lee. <laughs> you know? like, and he's just, he was an awesome, awesome personality. And it was cool to see him on S.H.I.E.L.D. for sure. It was a good, great moment. Yes, definitely. Um, so during this time, Simmons starts very dramatically getting into character and she's like accusing Colson of being an absent father with he, his job and his prostitutes. <laughs> and 
The whole point of this was that um, the, the people that they're tracking on the train um, that are the cyber tech people, uh, they're about to walk through the aisle. And so Simmons is trying to get into the aisle. She knocks into one of the cyber tech guys and spills the contents of the urn on the floor. She's like, no, mother. Um, and the cyber tech guys walk through the ashes, which is a little rude. Um <laughs> thinking thinking back on it. Um, but now May can track them where they're walking on the train from the roof uh, so she can see their footprints. There's something in the ashes, which is a very like detailed scheme now that I'm thinking about it. Um, we hear a train announcement and the train stops um, and suddenly the comms are down and Colson's like, I'm going to go to the dining car. Um, you stay here. Simmons. Um, so he goes to the dining car and finds it empty. And then Ward starts running through the dining car dressed up as a conductor. And he's like, I'm being chased. Cybertech's onto us. Um, oh, they have a grenade. Cybertech is here. And so they have to jump off the back of the train and Cybertech throws a grenade at them. And then it explodes into this purple smoke and the train disappears. What the fuck? Something's up. Next scene is we hear that same train announcement and the train comes to a stop or slows down or whatever it does. I don't remember now. <laughs> um, whatever. We hear the announcement. Uh, and now we're going to see what happens from Ward's point of view. So he is getting dressed up as a train conductor, conductor in his first class room. Um, and he starts walking down the hall. Um, this beautiful woman pops out of her room and she's talking to him in Italian, asking for help with his bag. And he's like, no, I'm very busy. I can't. And she persuades him. And he's like, all right, all right, real quick. And so he picks up her bag and starts walking into her room and she pulls a gun out and walks in behind him. Um, there's another assailant in the room that tries to attack him, but he takes them down easily. And he also takes down the woman. Um, and he runs into the car that Simmons is in and tells her to go find Fitz and Skye and hide. Um, as Ward walks away, the cybertech guys start to follow him and out the back of the train where uh, he and Coulson eventually end up. And we know how that story ends. They jump off the train Grenade goes off, purple smoke, train disappears. Um, they get up and look around and they're very confused by the train disappearing. And Colson's like, I, or, or they start talking about how, what, what it could be. And Ward mentions a portal. And Colson's like, I can't deal with Asgard today. Um, and they're really worried about um, the kids, uh, Fitzsimmons and Sky. And um, Colson's like, don't worry, May's there. And Ward sees May's glasses, her like x ray vision glasses on the ground. He's like, no, she's not. Uh oh, um, these cars pull up, and so they run into the orchard, and they find uh, one of those little uh, small European flatbed trucks hotwired and running in the middle of the orchard, which is very weird and fortuitous. Um, so they get in it and drive back to the bus. Um, when they're on the bus, uh, Russo, who is one of the Italians that Colson made a deal with, calls, and he says he's very beat up on his Skype video call and he's like cybertech knew we were coming and so colson's like come here to where we are on the bus we'll get this sorted out we'll figure it out together um and ward go or he tells they they grabbed the grenade device when they were leaving the scene where they jumped off and so um ward goes to to try to uh, look at the specs on this device to see what it is and so he tries to turn on the hollow table fits fits in simmons hollow table and he's like, hollow table on. And he does all these like really dramatic hand gestures and nothing's turning it on. And he finally figures out, oh, there's a switch. <laughs> so he turns it on and everything pops up on the screen. Like, so he's like trying to shuffle through and find the device. And Colson walks in and he's like, oh, yeah, I couldn't even get the thing turned on the first time I tried. It's pretty hard, huh? Uh, and Colson tries to help zoom in on the thing and he just makes it worse and it's like blurry and he's like, let's just upload the specs to HQ. And they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. And it reminded me of like my dad learning how to use an iPhone for the first time, just like these old men like can't figure out technology. <laughs> it's like the young kids just have, it, have their shit together when it comes to this and we can't figure it out. No, that works with Colson's old dad thing. It really does. Um, and Ward is just a bumbling fool as, as Fitz seems to think. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so Ward mentions, um, the thing between him and May and Coulson gets a little cold towards him. And he's like, look, if you put our team in danger, um, don't think that I won't hesitate to do something about it. Um, and he gets kind of, he kind of dads him a little and is like, you know, 
shaking his finger in his face type of thing. So that's an interesting reaction, considering the reaction he had to May was very different, almost indifferent. Um, at this point, Russo pulls up in his car and he gets out. And before he can even get a full sentence out, he gets stabbed in the back and May runs up behind him and uh, he falls to the ground dead. And she is clearly a little beat up. And all she says is wheels up in five. And she's mad. <laughs> Next scene, we hear another train announcement. This time it's going to be from May's point of view. So May is standing on top of the dining car watching Cybertech and she sees them start to leave and she's trying to radio in to everyone telling them, hey, they're on the move and she realized comms are down. Um, and as she's trying to warn everyone, she starts getting shot at. So she pulls this little mini parachute and flies off the train and lands and the train goes bye bye. And she's like, oh, man. Uh, she runs up to catch up to the train and she sees Coulson and Ward frozen on the ground with these like weird purple things around their eyes. Um, so that kind of explains the train disappearing. Now we understand. Um, so May is like, all right, I got to get you guys somewhere safe. She leaves her glasses on the ground and runs uh, up to the truck that we saw before and she hot wires it. Um, but before she can get in to drive to go get Coulson and Ward, Russo shows up and holds her at gunpoint and he knocks her out. She wakes up tied up in a barn, um, and apparently Cybertech was paying off the Italian authorities, and Russo's, you know, trying to be all sweet and cute with May, and she's like, don't call me sweetheart, and so he stabs her in the chest, and May is so badass, she grabs the knife that is sticking out of her chest and cuts herself free, and then takes everyone down and escapes the ropes, Um but Russo gets away. Oh no! One yeah. guy gets away. <laughs> we say uh, in a later episode how we t- we'll talk about how she should get her own show or comic book or movie or all those things. And this is exactly why. Like she's basically makes James Bond look like he's a wuss. Like she's amazing. Yep, definitely. So um, she ends up back of the bus, and we know how this ends. She stabs Russo in the back, and Ward and Coulson are very concerned, and she's like. They're like, what? Are you okay? And she's just like not having it. She's like, I said, get the plane ready. I need a shower. (laughs) So, um, she is so mad. She keeps getting caught in these combat situations when she is not prepared to be in them, and she's mad. (laughs) So the next scene is May is in the lab stitching herself up, and Coulson comes in to help, and he puts this like liquid band aid stuff on her, and they're having this very like intimate moment. Um. And Ward comes down and sees them together, and he's like, S.H.I.E.L.D. found the train. Um, I'm going to reroute the plane. We're going to go find them. And, you know, May's like, I'll come help. And he's like, no, no, I got it. Like, super cold towards her. And I don't know. It's just a weird scene. Like, Ward seems jealous, and Coulson seems almost like he's doing it on purpose to get to Ward. I don't know. It's weird. Earlier in the scene, too, there was a cute moment when May and Coulson are worried about the kids being mom and dad together. <laughs> and they're like, they can take care of themselves, but they're still worried. <laughs> um, so uh, they, they find the stop train and they see these like hand marks on one of the windows. And so it's actually in the storage card. They go inside. Uh, they find all of the comms equipment destroyed. And then Simmons pops up out of nowhere and starts shooting the night-night gun all over the place. And they're like, calm down, calm down. And she's like, where are Fitz and Sky? The next scene is that same train announcement. Hmm. Uh, so we're going to see from Fitz and Sky's perspective. And they're st- sitting in the storage car and Sky starts asking Fitz about 084s. And she's asking, have you ever heard of an 084 being a person? And he's like, no, but that sounds bad. <laughs> she's like, oh, great. I'm an 084. Um, suddenly they realize the comms are down and they realize that Cybertech knows that they're there. Um, and a Cybertech dude busts in the door and they t- the two of them try to take him down and they are not successful. But uh, he, Gemma runs in and the guy pulls out one of those grenades and Gemma runs and uses her body to shield the blast. And they're both just frozen on the ground. And um, they decide to hide Simmons um, in the storage car somewhere with a night-night gun. So when she wakes up, she can defend herself. Um, the train stops and they look outside and they realize they realize that uh, the package is leaving on one of the cars. And so they decide to follow it. Um, and they follow it to a villa. 
which um, they somehow show up the exact same time that the rest of the cars do, even though they're following on foot, which is interesting. Whatever. Um, but Ian Quinn, <laughs> Ian Quinn shows up and they're like, oh, we were right. And then Sky is like, we can't let Quinn get away. Sky, what are you doing? And so Fitz is like, yeah, you're right. So these two super newbie agents decide to go after this like villain man who has lots of resources and there's lots of people with guns standing around. Sounds like a great idea. Anyway, Fitz decides to stay behind and disable the cars for whatever reason. Um, so they can't get away. I don't know. But Sky goes inside with the night night gun. Inside the villa, Sky runs downstairs and she opens a door. Um, she finds the package on the table and there's a chamber. She goes and looks inside the chamber and, oh my God, Mike Peterson is inside. And Quinn walks in and he says, the clairvoyant told me to expect you. And Quinn pulls Mike out of the chamber and wakes him up. And uh, inside the package was a leg, a prosthetic leg, which he gives to Mike. Um, and he's like, hopefully these will help you follow my orders or follow your orders better or succeed in your mission, whatever he says. <laughs> um, I can't remember now. Um, and Quinn starts to ask Mike, like, would you hurt me? Like, if I tried to kill you right now, would you do anything? And he's like, no. And he's like, would you hurt Sky?" And Mike's like, those aren't my orders. Um, so Mike leaves to go upstairs and Sky kind of runs after him and she's like, Mike, no. And she turns around to yell at Quinn. She's like, what the fuck did you do to him? And Quinn shoots her in the stomach. And then he goes and holds her and then he shoots her again. And he's like, I'm sorry. I have my orders too. What the fuck? No. No, and it's it's it, it's interesting because like he doesn't seem he's not broken up about it, but he does seem like it's not personal. With it, really isn't like he's not doing it because he wants to or because he's yeah. like because he's getting any pleasure out of it. He's like I just have to do this. Like yeah, which he's almost apologetic about, it. and he even like the way he holds her, it's like very tender and like he it lays is. her down really gently. It's oh, he's it's such a. Well, and it's not, it's not loving or romantic or anything, but it is just, it's, it just adds to the weirdness and uncomfortableness of it. It's like, why? Why? Yeah. What? I know. So meanwhile, Mike goes upstairs and he's like, deals off, guys. And everyone's upset. And he's like, you guys brought S.H.I.E.L.D. here. And they're like, no. And then he takes them all out because he's a uh, robot man with lots of strength now. <laughs> and he has a leg. Um, he has, a leg. <laughs> he has a leg now. Um, meanwhile, T uh, Coulson's team shows up and um, Quinn and his men are in the lobby. And of course, in super uh, secret agent Ward fashion, uh, Ward walks in the front door and just shoots everyone and then leaves Quinn standing. But they take him down real quick and put him in handcuffs. And uh, uh, Coulson realizes that Quinn has blood on him. And so they're like, oh, shit. So they have to go find Sky now because, of course, Ian Quinn has blood on his hands. It could only be Sky's. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Mike is still in that office room and he gets a message in his eye, um, eye thing that says, do not engage S.H.I.E.L.D. And he is visibly relieved. Like, it's very clear that he does not want to be doing these things. Um, but, you know, his uh, we know from... I spy a previous episode that if he disobeys those orders, uh, a bomb will go off in his head. <laughs> so, and they've intimated in the past that centipede that they do things to Ace. So, like those two things yeah. together, I think, yeah, yeah, your personal life at, at stake, which has a lot of self-preservation, and and the people you care most about, like you're gonna do the right thing or what you think is the right thing every time. Yep. Yep. But yeah, but obviously he doesn't want to hurt uh, Coulson and his team, especially Sky. So visibly relieved. So Coulson runs downstairs and he finds Sky and he's just like, oh, no. Um, and he starts calling for Simmons like to come save her. She is the doctor of the team and he's holding her and like trying to get her to wake up. And Simmons runs down and she sees the chamber that that Mike Peterson was in. And she's just immediately like, put her in there, put her in there. And they're like, do you even know what this is? And she's like, yeah, it's a hyperbaric chamber. Put her in there. We're going to get her body temperature down and get oxygen to her tissues. And hopefully it can keep her alive um, until we can get her to a hospital. So on the bus, they have Quinn 
Yay. So one good thing came out of this. Um, Meanwhile, they're all standing around looking at Sky in the hyperbaric chamber, and Simmons gives a very perfunctory update and a rundown of how high the stakes are that she can keep her alive as long as possible, but she only has a couple hours. She's losing blood. They need to get her to a hospital. And then she leaves. She's like, excuse me. Um, And she goes into a storeroom and starts to have a breakdown and Fitz walks in to comfort her and she just sobs because her poor friend is dying and it's very upsetting. Um, it's just for this really sweet moment between Fitz and Simmons. Like he knew exactly where she would be and what she needed in that moment. And it's just really sweet and a, a, a testament to their relationship. Um, and everyone is shook, not just Fitz and Simmons. Um, May, it's just the look on her face is just, she's like shocked and devastated and Ward is pissed and he goes and he starts like, you know, like throwing fists into a car and she may comes after him to, to comfort him. And she's like, look, you know, that's not going to help her. And she starts to hold his hand. So it's like a kind of a change in their earlier, I don't know, iciness in their relationship. Um, but man, they're all very upset. And poor Colson is just standing there staring at her like, my my child, my daughter. Um, and then we cut to um, Mike Peterson. He's in the bushes in a park and he's watching these kids play and he pulls out a pad of paper and he writes down, can I please see my son? And the answer that he gets in his eye is not yet. So we know what his motivation is. Um, and then it pans down to his prosthetic leg and there's a label on there and we see that it says Deathlock. So Deathlock is officially here. And that's that's the episode. <laughs> so uh, this episode was very plot heavy and kind of nuts at the end. I don't uh, really know what to say. <laughs> um, we finally have the direct connection of Cybertech and Quinn and the Clairvoyant now. So Quinn is clearly the money, Cybertech is the tech, and the Clairvoyant is the one in charge. He's calling the shots. So yes, we have all of those connections. Um, I think we talked about this in our first last time we recorded, but yeah, in the in our first attempt at recording this. Um. Do you know what this is called, yes. this type of filmmaking? It is called multi-perspectivity. Is the type, awesome. type of filmmaking or storytelling with multiple perspectives. It's pretty simple. Uh, in yep. novel in, uh, like novel writing, sometimes they're referred to as mosaic novels, I think. Uh, Ooh, but I, okay. I think it might be like less formal for sure. Um, but yeah, it's anything with multiple perspectives is multi-perspectivity. That's very straightforward. I was thinking it was called something else, but <laughs> I'm glad it's just straightforward like that. But yeah, kind of a, something we haven't seen in a Shield episode before. It was kind of a it was it was a nice change of pace, and it's kind of funny because everyone's in their respective like undercover uh, like roles and seeing how that all breaks down <laughs> eventually. Well, I like it. Like it can be used to different effect. Like in comedies, it can be used. Each version can be slightly different. You know, mm-hmm. to tell how everything is different to everyone, and it can be made for for humorous effect. And where this, you just saw different pieces of the same story. Nothing was told differently because it was through one person's perspective versus another's. We just got each section of the team. We heard each of their chapters separately, but it was cool with all the overlapping, intersecting. Like, I think it's an effective uh, storytelling uh, tool, and it's nice seeing something like and on this show. It's a nice like change of pace. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, I think we can get, well, you have a comic, a a really random comic connection that if you, if you weren't listening carefully, you probably wouldn't have caught it. So this is a, (laughs) this happens a lot with us, uh, where there's Mm -hmm. a connection that is barely, barely in it. But, uh, in the beginning of the episode, sort of, uh, when Coulson is threatening Ward, when he kind of tells him about, uh, not messing up the team. He threatens Ward with uh, guarding Emil Blonsky in Barrow, Alaska. And he uh, is talking about uh, the, uh, the abomination. And he is a long-term Hulk, Hulk nemesis. He's like the Hulk, a gamma-irradiated monster. 
And in the Hulk movie that's in the MCU, he is played by Tim Roth in The Incredible Hulk with Ed Norton as Bruce Banner at the time before they uh, recast him, before they extricated themselves as much <laughs> as they could from, I think, I always say Paramount, but I think it's Universal. Whichever one distributes uh, right. Iron Man and Hulk. Uh, but And the first Avengers movie, but that was the last one. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, in it, uh, he's a little bit different. He In the comics, he is a Yugoslavian communist spy during the Cold War. And uh, he, was in, he appeared in Incredible Hulk comics, and he was changed into a Russian immigrant to the UK so that Tim Roth wouldn't have to change his accent, which is weird, but whatever. <laughs> so he's a super decorated soldier in the MCU instead of a spy uh, working undercover. He was kind of earnestly involved in everything, and he was part of an attempt to replicate the super soldier serum uh, that gave Captain America his powers like they do all the time in both the comics and the movies and in sort yep. of in real life. Uh, they try and replicate his success. Uh, and <laughs> he uh, eventually forced scientists involved in the project to give him a transfusion of Bruce Banner's gamma radiated blood in addition to the super soldier serum cocktail he had. Mm. And he turns into this giant monster. It's not scaly and green, which is kind of like hideous and weird and, and like asymmetrical <laughs> and bulbous and whatnot. And it, he's more monstrous than the Hulk but just like kind of a Geiger-esque like body horror monster rather than like a uh, creature from the Black Lagoon monster, which is sort of what the uh, comic book uh, abomination looks like. One thing I didn't mention when we first recorded that's kind of an interesting connection that I think I I didn't really, I didn't really think about until uh, recently uh, that connects with Emil Blonsky and the MCU more than S.H.I.E.L.D. directly is eventually there's a character who's revealed to be a teenaged abomination due to an accident with gamma radiation at a Stark facility. A, uh, a kid is given the, the same powers uh, who was there at work with his mom. And this kid uh, was Happy Hogan's illegitimate child. What? So like Tony, Tony <laughs> paying for this yeah. kid's life, his whole life. And now he's got abomination powers and can turn into like a, a gamma monster when he gets emotional. So he's like, was kind of taken under Tony's wing for a little while in the comics. Uh, and yeah, uh, the comic book version of Emil Blonsky uh, was first appeared in tales to astonish in a incredible Hulk story in issue number 90 in 1967. And he was created by Stan Lee, who we mentioned before. And Gil Kane uh, was the artist who drew a lot of Hulk stuff and is probably most famous, I think, for uh, for creating um, Green Lantern over uh, the Silver Age Green Lantern, mm -hmm. Hal Jordan over at DC Comics, as well as their version of the Atom at the time, the Silver Age version, who's now the star of uh, Legends of Tomorrow on the CW and starring Brandon Ruth playing uh, the Atom at this point. Yeah, yeah. I need to watch that. <laughs> and he's, I, I think you'd enjoy that one, but unfortunately you, I think you kind of have to watch the first season for it to make a lot of sense. Although the first season is not very good. Like it gets much better <laughs> afterward. It just sucks. Like sometimes it's, maybe you just need to read it, read about it. But, uh, uh, he, the Marvel connection that he has, or kind of most famous, I think Marvel character, he co-created, uh, Iron Fist. So. Oh, he's to blame. <laughs> he's to blame. He's a very, very old man. He he uh, he he died ooh, almost eighteen years ago. He died in January. Oh, wow. of two thousand, and he was seventy three. So, well, wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not giving any excuses, <laughs> but if, if if the original concept for Iron Fist sounds like it was created by a by a hundred year old man, there's a reason for that. It's because yeah, it you mean created. like the white savior yeah, coming yeah. in and like. Uh, appropriating Asian culture. Yeah, and the reason why is because one of the guys was is literally 101. <laughs> All right, that makes sense. Doesn't it? Like See, this is why this is why we need to. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not about being ageist, but um, maybe let some fresh talent in. Yeah, or just world. rework ideas. Don't like be stay beholden to stuff created by someone right? 40 years ago who's now not able to take care of themselves, or in many cases, no longer alive because right? their bodies could not live that long. Sadly, you know, because we're not meant to live forever. Well, like, like it's, 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 we got a little morbid, but it's, just, it's true. Like, we need to hire new people to reinvent stuff. We've, I've talked about it before, and I'll talk about it again. Uh, Mbaku and Manape 
Like, look at the difference yeah. between those two characters. Look at one. If you look it up and look at the history, the the purely well intentioned but subtly and you know, unintentionally racist, you know, white men who yeah. created those characters created all sorts of good things that they utilized, and they didn't change much at all. You know, when they utilized them for for from the for, to, when they first hired black creators to make the comics and then also to develop them for the film. And it's been great for the comics and the films, you know, it, yeah. but you look at that old material and compare it. And it is clearly like, this is why we need to hire people with authentic voices, with experiences and perspectives that can uh, reasonably inform something instead of just being like, Oh, it's my best guess. <laughs> and, and like, yeah. It doesn't matter how well intentioned you are. If you don't do any research and you're ignorant and back then it was harder to do research because you didn't have the internet. Like, like, it's like, like I don't blame them for the stuff being the way it was. They didn't choose to be born in a worse time to be a human, to be creative, to not be bigoted. But at the same time, we shouldn't be beholden to that stuff and hold it sacred for some reason, just because it's old. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Who gives, yeah. Who gives a shit? Like racism is really old. <laughs> like, we, don't, we don't respect <laughs> that because of it. Like it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so is white supremacy and like Nazism, you know, uh, misogyny, like a lot of, a lot of, a lot right? of shit is, is really ingrained in our culture. It doesn't mean we should like stick with it just because we're, we're, some people feel for, that way. Uh, we're aside <laughs> to come from the abomination, but that's just what Tim, Tim Roth is that good of an actor. He gets that, that kind of uh, reaction. Uh, I, oh I do, I do sort of recommend that movie. Although it's so weird, like I I've read about like uh, the difference in the cuts between the director and the final version of American History X, and where Ed Norton I guess edited the final version and basically <laughs> made himself the main character. It was like it, oh my God. no, it was like like an over a three hour cut, and it was supposed to be about Edward Furlong's character and all of that stuff, all the backstory and stuff about Ed Norton is supposed to be a, you know his his brother's story is supposed to inform his story it was important but it was supposed to be the stuff that was mostly cut down and instead he's like i'm going to cut out everything that's not my plot and just make my plot the movie and he ended up apologizing for it publicly because he's like like i was misguided i was young i did this but then if you read about it he did the exact same thing with hulk only i mean he was already the main character but he's still yeah. like i'm gonna edit this to where no one else gets to shine and I'm awesome. What the fuck? No, and it's like, it's so strange. Like it's so weird to me. Like it's like because I think it was after he did the movie Keeping the Faith, maybe the the first one he actually directed, where he just directed mm -hmm. it, and he was a side character to Ben Stiller's main character. And mm -hmm. he talked about it in interviews. He's like, oh, I, I, you know, I, I picked Ben Stiller and uh, Jenna Elfman to be the leads instead of me, and me to be a side character, like because I learned this lesson from my editing American history X and blah, blah. And he seemed like so enlightened and he did a bunch of movies with other people and they were good. And then he did the Hulk movie and now they won't touch a Hulk movie on its own with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I can honestly say I have never seen a Hulk movie. Like I highly, <laughs> highly recommend the Ang Lee movie. It's weird. It, I get why people don't like it, but I have always loved it. I loved it from the beginning and it's, the more than anything it tries to be a comic book, it has like, like, you know, like when something is really like 60s style storytelling and they have like multi-panel frames on the screen going and like stuff slides yeah. across. He does a little bit of that, but it's less like that and more like a comic book with like guided panels. And it's really oh. weird and interesting and the acting is all great eric ban is always good like that guy's like in munich like he's not a bad actor right. like no one's like oh eric Bana sucks no one thinks that like he's a good actor but <laughs> like i understand why it's not everyone's favorite but it is really really good and like i just remember the interviews leading up to it like i was super excited about it, it was right before everyone loved comics I, I i marked that sort of with iron man where it was just like Get over it, guys. Yeah. You already like X-Men, Spider-Man, and all this other stuff, yeah. and Batman. You're like, okay, come on. If you like Iron Man 2, you like everything. And it, we, we just accepted it. And and it was the beginning of the shared universe, so like in the MCU. Like, it was a big deal in general. But – and it gave a lot of power back, I think, to the studios that make the stuff, to the mar you know, the mm -hmm. comic studios themselves. But uh, I, I don't know. I, like, I was so hopeful for that Hulk movie before the MCU, the, the one that exists before this – 
uh, and I remember in these interviews, Ang Lee was like talking about how it was going to be the best thing he ever made and like the biggest deal he ever did. Like he, he referred to it as his, as his giant Jade destiny. And I was just like, that's amazing. Like, like this is going to be the best movie. And I saw it with my roommate and one of my really good friends in college when it came out and we were like, this was amazing. And everyone else we knew was like, I didn't understand it at all. It was yeah. weird. <laughs> like that movie was weird. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> like, like, come on guys. Well, now I will have to go watch that. It's, I probably have it somewhere. I don't know. It's. I think it's worth it. Worth a watch for sure. Like I think, like uh, who is it? Who's the bad guy? Is it Nick Nolte? I think it might be Nick Nolte. Oh, really? I have to look. I have to look it up. That's okay. That's funny. Um, yeah, I will have to go and watch it then. Just I um, I like. I think this came out like in a time when I was just like not into going to the theater or I was like really poor or something like that. So I couldn't afford. Yeah. yeah, I was in high school. I like didn't have time <laughs> to do that. <laughs> it is, it's um, naughty. It's so weird. That is and weird. then um, who it's is it Hurt plays Thunderbolt Ross. Is that right? William Hurt in the, uh, in I the MCU, no I think. Talbot's boss. I, I think that's right. Um, uh, in the and so he also would have done that in the Edward Norton movie. But S- Sam okay. Elliott played him in the first one, <laughs> and he's known in the co- in the comics for having this big push broom mustache, as is Sam Elliott. So for everyone who follows my obsession with facial hair, there's a he. He was perfect. Perfect. He was the perfect uh, Thunderbolt Ross. Oh man. Me and Billy were talking yesterday about your mustache uh, obsession. I do, I do <laughs> like mustaches. And it, it is, I was right, it is William Hurt who plays. It's still mustachioed, but not as magnificently mustachioed as Sam Elliott uh, version <laughs> of Thunderbolt Ross. Also, weird weird aside, he uh, was at one point the Red Hulk in the comics. For a long period of time, he was a Hulk, and the thing he hates the most it happens. And we needed a Red Hulk for a while. I don't know. I don't really know why, but we did. Uh, and when he was he was discounted as one of the candidates because he never he he, he, the red hulk did not have his signature mustache and he did and it turns out part of his gamma radiation transformation process is his mustache disappears when he turns into the hulk and comes back and comes back but just a mustache (laughs) not a full beard his groomed mustache comes back (laughs) when he de-hulks this i love this so much and it makes no sense it's such absurd like when you go that far just have the pants be like you don't need them to rip and be magical anymore like he's just wearing perfect pants for no reason it's like oh it's just we found him shield engineered super pants for the hulk they look like normal pants but they just work well, I was always bothered by that, like in the new MCU Hulk situation. Yeah, how do you like, grow to three times your circumference and they're just stretched? Like, what yeah. material was he wearing? <laughs> like, you should be naked or like engulfed in your in your clothes when you change back. No, he I don't know. Swimming in his clothes when he gets back. Or they should be ripped apart when he changes, and he should just be a naked Hulk. But they're not willing I don't to know. have. Marvel doesn't have the guts to have full frontal Hulk in their films. Well, he was naked in Ragnarok. We saw Hulk butt. That's true. We did see. We did see a little Hulk butt. So, who Taika is the only one who can handle Hulk nudity? Apparently, <laughs> good to know. <laughs> Give Taika all the Hulk films from yeah. now on. So that's we got some hope for. Uh, like full frontal alien nudity in whatever episode he directs of uh, the Mandalorian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So we can finally see what um, a Wookiee looks like with their bandolier off. <laughs> <laughs> the bandolier that lasts through the decades, apparently. He's so salacious. <laughs> a bandolier oh that's Wookiee. <laughs> well, I never. <laughs> oh my <laughs> this was definitely different than our previous attempt to record this one yep absolutely much star wars um i feel like we should get into the spoiler section now <laughs> <For sure>. <laughs> <laughs> on that note um 
honestly, like because this episode was so plot heavy, the only thing that we have is Deathlock, which if you uh, listen to our pilot episode, uh, Jared, you go into great detail about Deathlock and his origins and his variations and go listen to that. (laughs) Don't forget (laughs) Deathlock is a comic book. Uh, (laughs) Deathlock's been around for a long time. Uh, the one thing I mention every time Deathlock comes back up again is how weird it is that Gemma is a Deathlock in the comics. I mean, it's actually kind of nice because they save her and whatnot. Like, oh, we got to save her. And like, it's an okay story. She's still conscious. She's not like a rotting corpse when they save her. They, they like save her immediately as she's dying. But it's still, it's just like, come on, guys. included uh, yo-yo at the time or eventually would you know i don't know like you already have a character who lost both of her arms now you gotta make this one up full-on undead cyborg like come on on, well and also like eventually sky gets like in in this show sky gets saved by you know alien means um so we already have, and and Coulson is essentially like zombie type resurrection. Yeah, so has been brought like, back from the dead by <laughs> by fantastical means, and eventually will have a cyborg appendage as well. Like, yes, like, yeah. I don't, know, I don't mind it honestly. I don't mind the sameness stuff. I feel like it's funny. It almost comes down to like every once in a while in superhero teams, people will get mad. Like, there's all these characters who have similar powers on the same team. And it's like, and whenever that happens, I'm like, yeah, don't you hate how uh, all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are all just turtles? (laughs) Like, oh, wait, you don't care. Uh, Isn't the worst part of the A-Team how they're all humans and none of them have superpowers? Like, you can have different functions and personalities. Like, I'm fine. Like, there was a, going back to the Hulk, there was a brief time that Marvel had a comic and a, uh, a cartoon going that were like, not quite timed together. They had they had an incredible Hulk's comic with multiple Hulk characters in it uh, all together. And then briefly afterward, they had Incredible Hulk and the Agents of Smash. I believe Smash may have something <laughs> like super monster action superheroes or something. I don't know. It might be. It might be. It, <laughs> it might be that bad. <laughs> sorry. Sorry to the wow, people who worked hard on that. Super monster action superhero. I, I, I gotta look it up because that's it's, pretty it, amazing. I, I have to look that one up because that might be that might be right. Uh, but in it, it's like you know they all have basically the same powers with different, very different personalities and roles, and I'm fine with that. Like I think that's interesting and can show kids that like. Being special doesn't mean you have everyone. Guess what? None of us have superpowers. <laughs> like I'm not. Right? I, none of us is Magneto or whatever. <laughs> and if we were defined by that in these stories, then guess what? Magneto is the most special. Like all the other mutants suck or whatever. You can control the freaking poles of the earth. <laughs> like, 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 right? Like, I, I, like we're yeah, kind of screwed. Let's, let's not measure stuff like that. Let's see. Smash. Yeah. Uh, Supreme military agency of superhumans. Ooh. Oh, I don't like that at all. Wow. That's I yeah, like your version better. better. <laughs> <laughs> Mine sounds way less fascisty. <laughs> it does. I don't feel like the Hulk would associate with those fascists. Also, that show was awful. Uh, it had it. It was done in a um, reality show style, so they had confessionals. And Rick Jones, one of my favorite Marvel characters. Uh, growing up because I always thought he was related to me because his name was Jones. I was very little and he and he was the Hulk's <laughs> best friend. He grew up in Arizona. Uh, so I was like, hell, he's probably related to me. Um, but he became the... I mean, you probably are <laughs> in reality related very, very far down the line. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair. He, that's true. He, uh, he, what do you call it? He became... Uh, several times he became a gamma irradiated. He's the reason the Hulk became the Hulk in the comics. He was... A bunch of kids had dared him to go climb over a fence and hang out in a nuclear testing site. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So the day that the uh, gamma radiation bomb was going off, he had just driven his Jeep to the middle of it and got out. It was like running around. And Bruce Banner was like, I got to go save him. Stop testing. And ran out there and dove on him. And he took the brunt of the radiation or whatever. So many times over the years, Rick, who becomes his best friend, like basically is like, I will do anything for that guy for the rest of my life. Because he saved my life. Uh, he uh, hangs out with him forever and eventually becomes this superhero, this gamma radiated superhero called A Bomb. And he's voiced by Seth Green in it and is like a punk oh and a God. weirdo and like, oh, I'm the goofy guy. He was basically like, I don't know, 
Dex Shepard in a lot of things. <laughs> Not in the ones where I like him. <laughs> I do in a lot of things, but the ones where he's playing a particular brand of obnoxious person that he plays very yeah. well. The reason why he was on Punked, because I think that's where he got right. to start uh, with high profile gigs. Like like he like intentionally obnoxious stuff was sort of his comedy style the way they wrote him and it wasn't great like i don't blame seth green for it not being a wonderful performance you can't uh squeeze blood from a stone <laughs> but i also love that character of rick jones uh go do a deep comic dive aside because he was a perennial sidekick he became a sidekick to captain america and to uh captain marvel which is the next Ooh. big marvel movie uh he he was a long-term sidekick to carol danvers uh uh, predecessor in the comics as Captain Marvel is guy Captain Mar hyphen Vel, a Cree, a Cree yeah. captain uh, who liked Earth a lot, fell in love with Carol Danvers, the Air Force pilot, and was really good friends with Rick Jones. And eventually they became bonded with the Nega bands, these super powerful uh, energy bands that souped up his cr- natural Cree abilities. But it also made it to where he, he and Rick traded places where only one of them could exist in our world at once and the other one was sent to the negative zone <laughs> another dimension oh my God. and they had to clang the the, the bracelets together these giant like three inch <laughs> like, like, like like three three inch like long like like thing. like yeah. half inch thick yeah. metal bracelets like like wonder woman style gold bracelets that he clangs together and they swap places wow and when they do they can communicate like in the back of one another's minds Right, so he does that for a long time. They're so weird, but but it's not as sci-fi weird. But it's it's in a way it's weirder. The the other thing with him and Captain America is my favorite because every other time they I talked about how they replaced Captain America. I told I talked before at different episodes or maybe future episodes. I'll I'll talk about replacing Captain America and how they every time they'd replace him and they'd have his sidekick replace Bucky. Yeah, but the thing is, Bucky is James Buchanan Barnes. Mm He's not it doesn't stand for any superhero thing. Yeah. It'd be like it'd be like I don't like the nickname, but it'd be like somebody called me JJ <laughs> and my superhero name was JJ and then I died and then someone who replaced me was JJ. <laughs> it makes That's no weird. sense, right? Yeah. No, right. And they did that repeatedly. There's like four Buckies, right? And then when Rick becomes Cap sidekick and wears Bucky's uniform, they go out in battle, they fight a bunch of times with the Avengers and Solo or just two of them or whatever, and Cap shouts out, Hey Rick, and he calls him Rick. And as a kid, this I was like, okay, I love that he doesn't go by Bucky yeah. because why did everyone else go by Bucky? It's super morbid and weird. It's like, I'm going to make all my sidekicks dress up as my dead friend and call them by that name. Oh my God. That's really weird. Super weird. And most of them had, were different caps, but he did work with all of them at different points. Like it's, it's, it's strange. But anyway, at the same time, it bugged me because why is he wearing the mask? I'm like, you're just <laughs> running around going by Rick. Get a code name, dude. Like, come on. Like, 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 like why, why are you putting on that mask and running around and being like, like in the in public? Everyone's like, hey, Rick. It's like, what? No, no mask. That makes no sense. That's um, pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Rick Jones, I believe, is currently dead in Marvel Comics because Aww. somebody has to die in every crossover. Yeah. And they they just killed uh, War Machine, Rhodey, mm-hmm. uh, who they have brought back since then. They, they they usually bring them back pretty quick now. Like the other one, the other big one, they killed Rick Jones and uh, Black Widow for this last the Secret Empire crossover when Cap was a Hydra Nazi, and uh, and they immediately brought Black Widow back. They're like, oh no, she's in movies and stuff. No, don't worry about <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> you you couldn't possibly have thought oh, we were my serious. God. Whereas Rick is, whatever, Captain America, the Hulk, and a dead Captain Marvel's friend and an unemployed guitar teacher. <laughs> from, oh, like, from- okay. He doesn't have a, a hero name, and so he doesn't get any special. Well, he was a he was a bomb, but now oh, he's not okay. anymore. So he's screwed. Oh, <laughs> like, man. He's not a superhero. He'll be back eventually. I'm sure. I'm sure. If not, so I don't know. If not, I'll get a billboard. <laughs> Bring back Rick Jones. <laughs> It'd be so much worth so much more than the actual nerd efforts that people do <laughs> that are like to regress oh, progress. God, seriously. Oh man, I think they just need to stop killing off sidekicks and crap for fake emotional resonance. You can't. We can't keep this willing suspension of disbelief on death mattering in comics with the way that they, they are treated. I don't really care that people come back. It's great. It's a superhero story. Mm-hmm. They should be able to 
whatever we should do whatever we want, but just don't pretend to take it seriously. Be like, like the way they did when they killed off um, Human Torch a while back was the best way they did it because the way the creators dealt with it, where Jonathan Hickman was just the guy who wrote Fantastic Four, was just like for the purposes of the story, everyone involved believes he's dead. <laughs> and yeah. it's like he was like, I'm not kidding you or myself. And then it, it was also revealed that it wasn't a cheap comeback; it was all part of the story. He was trapped in the negative zone actually, and ended up like becoming a, a freedom fighter there on his own without working under the shadow of his brother-in-law and his sister and his, his friend. And instead like became his, his own man sort of. And, and it was a really good story and it played out well and it would have sucked if they would have had the reveal really, really obvious yeah. in the beginning, but it also it served no purpose for him to lie. So it, it, it was, it turned out to be very satisfying that way. And I feel like that's, that's how they should play it. Like, like if they meant for him to be dead in this story, then say he's dead and treat him that way. But also acknowledge that Nick Spencer is off of Captain America now. He's not writing any big crossovers after the way the media reacted to the last one where they made him a Nazi. Right. They, he's still writing Spider-Man. They did give him a giant thing. They're assuming that the that, that won't matter in a little while. And I'm sure they're right because their editor-in-chief pretended to be a Japanese man. <laughs> and he's still employed there, even though he broke like their rules to do so. So yeah. he could, he could employ himself. He could be his own editor. It's such a freaking conflict of interest, even if it weren't explicitly against their rules at the time, it's really gross and, and racist and weird. But so like given the way the comic industry is, I feel like there's probably already enough time has died down. They, they give Nick Spencer a bunch of books. He could take over Spider-Man, X-Men and the Avengers. And most of the world probably wouldn't care as long as the movies were still fun. Yeah. So kind of on the topic of death, since we are in yes. the spoiler section, how do you feel about Fitz's death in season five then? I think they, they give us their out immediately. Okay. They, they, they show us that, that, oh, remember, he's still there. So I feel like that is playing with the convention where it's like we see that the characters feel it. Gemma feels it. But we as viewers know there's a way out and a way maybe to fix him, not entirely because he still has broken by the framework, but fix him in that he hasn't had this crazy, weird nihilist. The future's already been told I have to do this stuff. Oh, you know, you know, like yeah. Frankenstein crap on on uh, Daisy, you know, like, like, like the, the, the very the, the violation stuff, mm -hmm. like all that being undone. It, it's powerful, too, because we get to have our fits back and we get to feel that emotionally. And it's like, we got to hit an undo button, but intellectually we as sophisticated viewers know that Gemma doesn't get to do that. Yeah. And, and more than that, Daisy can't do that. She was violated. This probably fucks up their relationship forever. It doesn't mean they can't work together or be friends again, but like they can never be what it was. Yeah. Like, can't. And that's, and that's powerful. I, th I, I think it, I think it was good. It was, also so like upsetting that like I, I hadn't like forgotten it, but I, it's so not active in my memory of this last season. I just remember like, like the, that last half of the season to me is like, wait, like Deke was like smelling everything and eating fruit and whatnot. <laughs> and then he got drunk really fast and then uh boom, it's over. Right. And, and at one point um, uh, Talbot was in a hilarious costume. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of it is the acting from the girl from the Disney Channel. Who oh, I know. Um, what's her oh. name? Dove Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. She's not, she doesn't, uh, I feel badly for her. And she, I think she does a good job on what I've heard of the Marvel rising shorts. Like she does, I think she's spider Gwen in them and she, and she does fine. Like, like, and I, that's always been fascinating to me because I've seen some people who I haven't enjoyed them at all in live action, but I really enjoy them as a voice actor. Spencer Grammer, Kelsey Grammer's daughter is uh, not right that I, that's just how I can remember her name, but she, but I've seen her in a few things and I don't, like I never really enjoyed her as a live action actress, but she is in uh, Rick and Morty as Summer and she's like, she's excellent. She's like nuanced and funny and like, like, I don't know, like. Interesting. I, it is. And, and it almost makes me just wonder if she's just had really crappy directors. Yeah, like, that's possible. She's, she's a young actor yeah. and a young woman in Hollywood. So like the level of roles that are available available to her might not be great. You know, it might be like a, very, a, a certain caliber of writing and, and subject matter too. But it's just like, unless she's playing, which I don't know. It feels like other times you have shows like spy shows or cop shows or lawyer shows where they just have someone who clearly is too young to have the job they yeah. have, you know, you know, so it, it does, it, it's a, we just need better written everything. I think yeah. that's really it. 
and more of it, which we do. It's, it is happening, but it's just it's hard to weed through all of that, yeah. through all the content. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But no, man. I, I think that's a really good question. Like while talking about the permanence of death, because I do think it was a good, it was a really good one. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, well, we can talk about it when we get there. But Mac's reaction hit me so hard Whew. because of Mac was just like such a huge. He was instrumental in Fitz's recovery in season mm-hmm. two, and their relationship has just. I don't know. His relationship with everyone is so unique. And like, I feel like that's really why it's so satisfying when he does become the leader. Yeah. It's because you're like, every one of them individually respects him in a way that I feel like we don't get that. Like, I get that everyone loves Guy, but I don't get on the same visceral level that like, like, I don't know. No, I do. I guess by the end, they, they've had a good. They've done a good job of of of, of really developing everyone. Because I was thinking, like, I, I don't know that Gemma respects her the same way she respects him and and May and Fitz. But then by the framework, by everything they've gone through, when it was just the two of them in the framework, yeah. like, yeah, no, she does. Yeah, it, it, I, she didn't before. I don't think, but she does now. Like, like she trusts her as much, and she already did trust her like emotionally, but she trusts her professionally. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, no, no, it's interesting. They've done a really great job. Like, like, yeah. I know. It's it's now that we're doing this, like when we get to later seasons and we look back, I think, because it'll be like a relatively short amount of time, um, except for, you know, instead of having like a year go by uh, in between seasons or whatever. Um, right. Just to... I don't know, just because like I'm looking at like this episode in particular, like we see like Gemma essentially so upset that Sky is hurt. And that's this is like so early on in their relationship. And she already has like a huge emotional attachment to her. But she's like trying to be like the caretaker and like healthcare worker and put like put some a little bit of distance there in terms of like keeping her alive and doing everything she can. But at the same time, like that's like her friend. And then we just, I don't know, just like looking to the future and knowing what their relationship becomes. It's, I don't know. It's nice. It's nice. I'm glad we're doing this. (laughs) I'm glad we're rewatching this and talking about it because there's so much to talk about on the show. Um, It is. We've really gotten to the heart of exactly why we hate Ward and them for making us hate Ward. (laughs) Yeah. And why we like love and and why we love Colson so much and why we love May so much and Mac and everyone essentially that we love. <laughs> so yeah, I really I'm really looking forward to, to when we're almost there, but to next season and getting to cover Mac just because oh, I know. God, man, I need that. I need them to do that. I've, I've mentioned it before, maybe maybe later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, it's weird this episode, but uh, I, I mentioned at some point that. I want them to do what they did with uh, the current Nick with Nick Fury Jr., uh, who uh, was Marcus uh, Jones, I believe, who is uh, uh, Mar- Marcus Johnson, who was his uh, you know son that he didn't know existed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the previous Marvel version, the one who was played yeah. by by uh, David Hasselhoff, <laughs> uh, and I need them to do the same thing because there is an Alfonso McKenzie who's an old British dude, just like there's a Lance Hunter who's a really old British dude who's Lancelot Hunter. It's uh-huh. like, hey, let's get rid of those guys or the old white dude and the old British dude and let's replace them with young spy to go out with a mockingbird in the comics to be young Lance. Hey, he's his you know, grandson or whatever, his nephew. And then yeah. uh, you introduce uh, a, a new Alfonso McKenzie and same thing, you know, whatever. It's his uh godson it's his uh, uh you know adopted son yeah uh, like like i'm fine with it i'm uh, i am too i want henry simmons in my comic books and eventually i need them to solve everything i need like pro mutter to just give up and and uh, <laughs> and let uh feed have his way and cause i need him to be captain america one day I like know. D- dang it i do too oh He's such a good character and he's such like just as I mean, we've talked about this before, too, but just Henry Simmons as an actor and as a person as well. Just he just seems like such a good person. And I want I want him to be in a film, a Marvel film um, (laughs) as Captain America. Like how how rad would it be to have like 
I mean, cause if that happened at this point, it'd be like probably like a guy close to 50, but who still, but who, who gives a crap? Cause it would look like Henry Simmons. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, how cool would that be to have like a 48 year old black man be the new Captain America? Right? <laughs> like, that's, like, I want that so bad. That's so dude. powerful. That'd be so rad. <laughs> and, and I, while I love the story where Sam did become Captain America in the comics and the story where Bucky became Captain America, both of those are good. Both those, I think undermine those characters. Like it's such a double-edged sword doing that because mm-hmm. eventually, you know, when the dust clears, there are two. Then either the original character returns and supplants the replacement, or they exist alongside one another, and one is the black version of them, oh, or yeah. the not white version of them. And it's, that's what happens when you adapt source material that was originally made. You know, back when all the characters were white, or the majority of the characters were white, and it's stupid, but it's the way it is. And if we want to use the Captain America legacy, then that's always going to be the way it is. And that's why I think like you got to go with someone new instead of changing someone who already exists, who already has a following. Like people are excited about a Winter Soldier Falcon TV show. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's great. Capitalize on that. Don't make them one of them into Captain America. Use what they have. You know, but it just sucks that the situation has become what it has that they can't work together. I know. Hopefully that changes in the future. I don't know. Maybe. Um... I don't know. I read an article about the Netflix stuff with the cancellation of daredevil and it, uh, like it was some insider report and still not an official anything, but it was like, they were just so grim. They're just oh. like, yeah, they're never gonna, it's always gonna be one-sided and it's just showing and basically saying that if they do Luke cage at Marvel studios, it will ignore this. Like they'll recast. Wow. It'll be like, it'll, it'll be, it'll be like Sony, uh, Spider-Man yeah. co- co- cooperative stuff. Like it'll be like just Tom Holland, you know, and ignoring the ones that were just out. And that's it, a real bummer to think. And, it, and it w- wouldn't be for a while. They'd have to like, let it fade. They'd have to let people forget about it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But that bums me out. Yeah. And who knows? It was not, this is not a statement from anyone. This is, a, this is an educated, uh, you know, like assumption. Guess. Yeah. yeah. This is someone who works in the industry who has connections, who was around and privy to stuff ahead of it being officially announced, but at the same time, gosh, even if you even if you did work there, even if you were on like whatever, uh, you know, the board and you got some of the some of the straight dope, you still don't know what everyone's thinking right. all the time. Right. Like like we can't jump to too much uh conclusions with that stuff, but it's still interesting to to know and and an ongoing source of frustration, I think, for you and I who really want to see uh quake and uh and mac and may and all these guys on screen with our heroes yeah absolutely colson's it i know well i am i mean i mean i'm glad he at least gets to come back with his amazing new hairstyle <laughs> Captain right. hashtag, hashtag uh colson wig hashtag raffman <laughs> <laughs> did the raffman group make that wig <laughs> that's a- I would love to think so. They specialize in cosmetic alterations. Maybe, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Glad we were able to work in Rathman Watch. I had to figure out something. All right. Um, I think that is all we have for this week. Um, where can the good people find you on the internet? I am to be found. It's probably at I Snow Nothing on social media and whatnot. All right. You can find me on Twitter mostly at Space Jess with four S's in the Jess. And you can find the podcast at Project Tahiti on Twitter, or you can send us an email, projecttahitipod at gmail.com. And thank you for listening for this third attempt on recording this episode. <laughs> Hopefully this works and we don't have to try to do this again or just not post it. I don't know what would happen. Yeah, um, I'll just have an apology. <laughs> yeah, just, sorry. It just didn't work out. Episode 13 is just not coming out. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> Keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, here's hoping.